0: Do you want to achieve the ultimate success in your business? Have you ever wondered what the top money masters are doing each and every day to reach the top levels in the industry? Well, you found the perfect podcast. This is Behind the Scenes with Top Money Masters brought to you by the international association of registered financial consultants get ready to learn how to explode your marketing connect and make your clients process effective and discover how to build the practice you've always dreamed of this is behind the scenes with top money masters
1: this is nick royer vice chairman of the iarfc and welcome to another episode of the behind the scenes with top money masters podcast it's powered by the international association of registered financial consultants. I'm excited personally to be here with Dan Capril. Now Dan is a financial consultant, he's built an incredible practice. It started out in Cincinnati, it's expanded to Nashville. We'll get into why that's important and why that's super cool here today during the show. But he does things completely different than pretty much how everybody else who's a financial consultant is doing things. He he never sets AUM and revenue goals. I know that's that's completely counter to what I was taught as a financial advisor growing up, and he, he has a little bit of contempt for those FMOs, uh, those turnkey asset managers, those broker-dealers. And like I said, he started his practice out in Cincinnati, Ohio, but now he has figured out a way to live 300 miles away from his office and have that office in Cincinnati basically run on its own. And Dan, you know, welcome to the show. I'm really, I'm kind of wondering how exactly you were able to do that.
0: Well, first, thanks for having me. It's, um, it's always a, a pleasure and an honor when uh, people ask me to, to talk about what we do and how we do it. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting. This idea of relocating far away from my office is not as overwhelming an idea as some people think. And the genesis of it came from a discussion I'd had over 20 years ago with an attorney who I used to work with. And he had shared with me a presentation that he went to where another attorney was talking about how he had been diagnosed with some heart ailment and as a result was told by his doctor that if he didn't cut back to two days a week, he would die. So the attorney did that. He got with his staff and he just kind of revamped their office, revamped their operations. And at the end of that that first year, and actually all years going forward, he was working two days a week and making even more money. And he pointed out to the audience, he said, isn't it a shame that I had to wait for my health to fail before I put these changes in place? Because his point was, you don't have to be sick to do this. Um, In addition to that, that attorney shared with me, it was the first time I had ever read it, the book, The Mm E-Myth, which is all about putting systems in your business. And in the book, Michael Gerber talks about mcdonald's a lot how mcdonald's operates and if you've ever seen the movie that was out a few years ago a few years ago called the founder with michael keaton it's all about that it's all about how mcdonald's got started and the use of systems in making it work and so fortunately for me at a really early part of my practice i really adopted that strategy to where i wanted to be eventually a non-essential part of my business so it's kind of like when you hear on the news when there's a bad snowstorm, the network says, only essential employees come in today. You know, all non essential stay home. I wanted to be non-essential because I figured if I was non-essential to my business, it had two things going for me. Number one, it would give me a lot more free time, which as a business owner was one of the two things I wanted. The other thing was wealth. Uh, but the other thing is it would make the business more valuable if I ever chose to sell it because you don't have to have me there to make it work. So that was always the mindset. Now, it didn't get there overnight. But one day we were down in Nashville. Nashville is about four and a half hours from Cincinnati, my wife and I. And we stumbled across this area, Franklin, Tennessee, which we liked. And literally on a weekend, with no planning at all, I just simply said, let's see if we can make this thing work. And we sat down at a coffee shop and worked it out. I knew that the planning firm, because I had taken certain steps previously as I was getting a little bit older, to have an internal succession plan in place. So whereas for many years, it was just me and my office manager, Trina, I brought in a partner. Actually, she's now a partner. She wasn't when I brought her in uh, to first serve as a junior advisor with the idea of eventually letting her run the show. And so between that and what I was able to create with Advisor Architect allowed that to work. In today's age, you know, I've always maintained that your clients really don't care where you are when you're not with them. There's so many ways for you to communicate with them. So a lot of these limitations we put on ourselves, it says, well, I couldn't possibly do that. My clients are, are you know, 300 miles away. Well, that's a self-limitation you put on. Now, do I come back? Sure, I do. You know, I've got a small apartment in downtown Cincinnati, and it's a lot of fun uh, to, to be in that urban uh, environment. Uh, but you know, the main home and most of my time is, is down there. And for a while, I got a little concerned, maybe I should hide this from my clients. Uh, but then I said, no, there's no reason to do it. As long as they know that they can have me whenever they need me, but they really don't need me because most of the time they need Trina and they need Nikki. Mm-hmm. And this was again, another, this was an obstacle that, that a lot of advisors put up. And I think to a certain extent I had it, but then I was like, no, but let's see what happens. And, you know, it's been over a year now and it works, it works great. In fact, most of the time, the advi- the clients are, are surprised to see me, uh, because they're just expecting me. To be down there.
1: Now you said a term non-essential. I think the term non-essential, and and you know, moving in the circles that I move in, and talking to the financial advisors at, at, at conferences that I talk to, it usually anytime we think about giving that up, we think, well, if we do that, and we have other advisors. They're going to steal our practice. Right. We can't trust them to do it. Or we also hear this thing: well, I, I must need to hire ten employees to be able to have my business run without me being a part of it. Right. What do you say to that?
0: Well, that's a theory. I'm just suggesting that that practice doesn't indicate that at all. And if you are going to build your your practice to where it's all about you and you have to have the hand in everything, then you have dramatically limited your ability to grow that that business and, and grow your profitability. You know, it may be right that you can do everything better than everyone else, but you're only one person. And so you're going to reach a point of capacity. My attitude was, look, if I bring somebody else in, even if I lost some clients, you know what I'd get in return? Freedom and time. I can always get money back. I can't get those two things back. You know, sometimes people look at a practice that's built around the life of the business owner and, and, and our vendors, especially, they will diminish that. They'll say, oh, you're just building one of those lifestyle practices. Because they don't ever want you to be thinking about your lifestyle. They want you to be thinking about giving them as much business so they can benefit. Hmm. But my attitude is that very often when we are willing to take kind of a back seat in the operation and empower our employees, and interestingly enough, you won't need a lot of employees to do this, you're gonna find that you can do a lot more for a lot more people. But more than anything else, you're gonna have a better life. And Look, if you get up in the morning and your purpose in life is just to go to work, that's, that's your decision. It's not mine, not at all. And I think, in the, I know that since we adopted this approach where more people work with our clients and I don't have to be the essential part, things get done better because my strength is not things like attention to detail. Uh, my strength is not getting back to the client immediately with the answers. So once I reached a point where my business was, had grown, I realized we needed some of that bench strength. Not as much as what some people have. You don't need 10 employees. If you have systems in place, they can run the systems just fine. But you just have to decide for yourself what kind of practice you want. Where I get critical on a lot of vendors is they like to define the vision for us, the advisor. They like to say, a successful practice is 100 million under management or 200 million under. And look, I've known people who've gotten to $200 million under management and it essentially wrecked their life. They don't know who their kids are. They got divorced a couple times. And you have to always point out that to the vendor, we are their free sales force. We cost them nothing. So they're always going to act in their self-interest, which I don't fault them at all for doing. But we need to understand that. We need to understand that what is in our best interest may not be in the vendor's best interest. And that's why I always say, don't take your direction and your advice from them because it's misguided. It would almost be like a doctor encouraging you to smoke because he knows you, he will, you will need him more. You'll need to come in the office more if you stay unhealthy. Yeah. I know it sounds ludicrous, but when I hear you know, vendors define success in the way in which they do and the advice they give, you don't have the money, go borrow it. It's so self-destructive. So, um,
1: and, and we're not talking, it's not like you have a small practice. I think a lot no. of people maybe listen here and they're thinking, oh, well, you know, if he only has two employees, uh, the, the you know, a lady who handles operations and one, and one associate advisor, he must only manage like 10 million or 20 million dollars. No, no,
0: $200 million is what we manage. And we have clients in 20 States. And so, you do it with two people. We do it with two people. Actually, we did it for, with one for many years, just me and, and. The highly qualified Trina Powell. Yeah. Um, It was only when I decided that I didn't want to be the primary contact of clients as a planner and I wanted to grow a new company. I brought And, And also, I needed to realize, too, that it was in my best interest to have an internal succession plan rather than an external succession plan, given the size of our practice. It was only then that I brought somebody on about five years ago.
1: Now, do you think, I mean, being mostly now you're Cincinnati, you've got Nashville, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, those are where your bases are now. Do you think technology will help you expand to other areas? Do you have an intention to do that? I mean, you hear people trying it, but then people fall through and it's like, ah, it didn't work. What do you think on that?
0: Okay, so to answer your first question, it certainly could. Uh, there's, There's no reason why you couldn't grow your client base and not be as face-to-face using this very same technology that you and I are using right now. Personally, I probably won't do that just simply because since I started Advisor Architect, that has been pretty much all my time. Now that, we work with, with advisors all over the country, uh, so it's a different business model. But there's really no reason why certainly, um, at least at the very least, on client reviews and stuff like that, that you can't use the technology we have today to create the face-to-face appearance. I mean, it's amazing when I do um, Zoom calls with clients because we are face-to-face. There's that nonverbal level of communication that goes on, how good those meetings are, as opposed to if I just got them on the phone. Yeah. So it's not as, it's just a, a much warmer call. Mm-hmm. And more and more clients are open to that. So you don't even have to live 300 miles away. If you wanted to give your clients the, the option of either coming to the office or doing it from their living room, you can do that. And in some cities, it probably would be advantageous because of traffic, Chicago, LA, DC, right? Um, you know, where I live, parents can get anywhere in 20 minutes, but in a lot of other places, it's, it's a challenge. So I just tell people to challenge the old methodologies. And probably what you'll find out is even though it may not be perfect, uh, there's more benefit than there is downside. And in the end, you'll be better off. So again, just like I said, when I decided to move to, to Nashville, even though the office was up here, I realized that there might be a, a, a percentage of clients who don't like that. And I might even lose a couple of them for that. But that didn't really bother me because that cost was going to be small compared to what I was going to get in return. Right. Also, I wasn't abandoning our marketing efforts. We were still doing the very same things we do. It just doesn't always have to have my face on it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I
1: think, you know, especially like me, I live in Orlando and there's an area of town called Lake Nona, which isn't that far away from my Mm -hmm. office. And I'll have people who are clients of mine and Lake Nona is only 30 minutes away. And they'll say, hey, you know, can we just have our meetings, our annual reviews, uh, you know, doing Zoom or Skype or something? And here they are, you know, on their back patio, on their, you know, with their feet kicked up by the pool and we're doing Skype calls. So the technology is there. and It is. And if they like it, do it anymore. Yeah. And I tell people, look, you don't have to require it, but just offer it up. I mean, you their know, kids now are, are FaceTiming their, their grandparents.
0: Yeah. It, it's not like, say, 15 years ago when no one even had email addresses. You know, people have come <laughs> a long way, right? Yeah. I mean, Grant, you're still going to get that. And listen, I tell you, I mean, I used to be in meetings where advisors swore their clients would never use email. You know, just, we can't do this. They're never going to do it, right? So it's another example of a limitation that we apply. But if somebody said, you know what, I've always wanted to live on the ocean and my office is 500 miles away, you know what, you can do this. I'm not saying don't come back and check on the operation from time to time. But I think it's a lot more rewarding as a business owner to work more on your business rather than in your business, which goes back to that book by Michael Gerber, The Myth. Because
1: he he's said come that, out,
0: it just with like resonated
1: ten different versions of that book.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah, there have. Doing- my my advice would be stick to the original, <laughs> but okay. uh, but yeah, like the one the one that was done for financial advisors, I think is a terrible book. Um, That's but, the one I bought. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Gerber was just trying to make money. So he's like, I'll, you know, it's kind of like they've done that now with Think and Grow Rich and some of these others. No, just actually the, the one to get is the E-Myth Revisited. Um, but, you know, either that one or, or the, uh, the revisited one are really good. Um, Mike McCallowitz has a book that's kind of similar called Clockwork, which is out now as well. And what he does, and I like this approach, is he says, build your business so that you could take a 30-day vacation completely off the grid. So similar to the guy who got sick and he had to change his business so he wouldn't die, Gerber's being a little bit more positive here and he's saying, build your business so that, and, and he wants you to take 30 days off. Mm-hmm. Um, completely off the grid. Understand what, you, what he calls your queen bee role. You know, if, if, you, if you've got a hive, a hive, the queen can only do one thing in the, for the hive to survive, and that is reproduce. She's got to worry about anything else. The hive is going to die, and and that's what he says. Is you've got to understand what your primary role is. That is, pro- if if you accept that, your ability to grow will and make more money will just will take off. But when you put these limitations on there, you know, just understand that that's what's going to happen. Uh, just make sure it's consistent with your vision.
1: So two real good books there. E Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber and Clockwork. Clockwork. I can't even pronounce the guy's last name. What is it? McCallowitz.
0: McCallowitz. All right,
1: all right. So Clockwork <laughs> by McCallowitz, and he's actually written another book uh, that you put me on Profit First. Yeah. So you know, that, let, let's go into that because I've I've heard you say that most financial consultants just have quote unquote. I'm probably I think I'm quoting you right here. A crappy sales job. They do. And so here, here we are, and I don't know who's listening to this podcast. It could be people that are just starting out. They just graduated college. They're just starting to get into business. It could be right. people that have been doing this for 10 to 15 years and have a pretty good book of business. It could be you know, advisors who are really seasoned who have been doing this 30, 40 years. So I mean, any, all sorts of people are listening to this pod, uh, podcast. But when you say, you know, I've heard people that you know, this they could have a crappy sale job, you know, mm-hmm. what does that mean? What do you mean by that, I guess? Okay. And what's the alternative, I guess, is the solution? If that doesn't sound good, what is the solution?
0: Well, you know, I didn't even coin the phrase. My friend John Pollack coined the phrase because he was comparing what he was doing to his next door neighbor who worked for Dell Computer, okay. who was in sales and had an almost identical house to John. And, and John thought, you know, this guy probably takes home as much money as I take home, maybe even more. And he doesn't have to worry about any of the things that I have to worry about. Dell gives him all the support that he needs. He doesn't have to manage anybody. He's got a team of people around him. All he's got to do is make the sale. He can literally just work 40 hours a week and everything is great. John, by contrast, you know, just gets going at 40 hours. And there's all these fires because he is the middle of all the systems. All the systems run through him. He's like the matrix, if you will. Oh, and that's when he realized, this, this stinks. I'd rather have this guy's job. Because he really, the way he was even running it, where he wasn't focusing that much on recurring revenue, that's all it was, was a sales job. There was really no value to that business. The day he stopped selling, all revenue stops, just like the guy at Dell Computer. And, you know, as he was explaining this to me, I was saying, well, that's the problem when you don't focus on profitability. Because when you focus on profitability, you're focusing on increasing your own personal wealth. Now, recurring revenue is a big part of it, but it doesn't have to be. You know, if somebody wants to live on commissions, that's great. Just make sure you're banking a significant part of that commission. I mean, if you think about it, if you get the commission up front, that's equal to about seven years of fees. There's no guarantee you're gonna get the seven years of fees, all right? So it does have its merit. Now, I would argue in the long run, it's not as good. But too often, advisors don't think that way. And so they've never really thought about running their business whereby they have set aside a significant percentage of their income to grow their wealth. The very advice we give our clients, save a certain amount of money, save that amount of money each and every year, business owners, not just financial advisors, business owners are the worst at that. And Michalowicz points that out in his book, Profit First. Now, I think it's it, not only is it ironic that financial advisors find themselves in this grouping. I call them broke millionaires. They got all the toys and all this stuff, but they really don't have a lot of the liquid net worth. So not only is it ironic, but it's also, I think, um, quite injurious to our psyche if we know that we are not living with integrity, that we're not doing the very same things we tell other people to do. You know, it would be like when a, when a, a well-known televangelist gets in trouble for, sexual exploits, you know, it's like hey, that's the last person who's supposed to do this. It's the same thing when a financial advisor files for bankruptcy or is carrying a lot of debt. Trust me, that's a burden that's preventing them from being as effective. And it's reasons reason is because they never ran it to be profitable. If you focus on hitting a profit goal, and when I say profit, I mean money above and beyond what you need to run your household. When you make decisions to run your practice that way, it's not only going to dramatically increase your net worth, it's also going to increase your free time because that that, influ- I mean, that amount of net worth as it grows is going to afford you more and more opportunities. When you get into this idea that if I just keep working harder and harder, everything takes care of itself, the problem is, is that's how you end up getting a staff of 10 people. And instead of taking home 60, 65% of what you're bringing in, these people are bringing home 20, 25%. And the solution is always, we'll just bring in even more. Or you do, know, more you'll get marketing, small, do more marketing. Do more marketing. And, do more marketing. And, more, and, more. and again, the problem is, is you are a finite person. You only have so much time. Now, if you built your business to where you had systems and other people were running the systems, you might be able to, to do that, have a large staff, and still have a large profit margin. But mm-hmm. too often, that's an afterthought. If it happens, great. And it's funny, the the biggest um, um, violators of the idea of running your practice profitably are the largest firms because there's so much revenue coming in, they don't get too upset when money gets wasted. They don't get too upset at the efficiencies because the owner is still bringing home what he feels to be a very good salary. It's kind of silly though because he could double that easily and have a more simple practice. But it gets down to what your vision is. Some advisors really do get excited knowing they got 15 employees. They just do. Okay, great. You know, I call it Lord Grantham syndrome. If you've ever seen the TV show Downton Abbey, it's now a movie. It's now a movie. I haven't yeah. seen it yet. Have you seen it? No, I haven't yet. My wife loves the show. Oh yeah, no, it's a, it's I it's a great show. Go, but I just haven't. Had I love about. anything that's historical, and it it, it it it's a great show about economics because you start to see how the industrial revolution was affecting you know, the royals and they, and they they had this agrarian model that's just collapsing you know in front of them but lord grantham's got this huge estate and like all of his buddies who are earls and dukes whatever he's running out of money and his son-in-law who's a commoner is explaining to him as you got to start running this place like a business here mm-hmm. he says you know you got people that are running property from you. I haven't paid you in years. And, and Lord Grantham says, but you need to understand, you know, my job is to provide for all these people. And his son-in-law says, well, that's the exact way your buddies all lost their estates, that mindset. So if you want to have that noble mindset, fine. But you got to understand this. A business that's not profitable goes away. It doesn't help anybody. So when I'm talking about having a profit model, I'm emphasizing that in my belief, there's nothing more ethical that you could ever do than to be profitable. Because when you are profitable, you can not only employ more people, you can help a lot more people. Mm -hmm. But if you're broke and largely because you mismanage your business, well, you're not going to help anybody. So when when someone comes to see me, one of the very first things I I get into them with is, you know, do you feel it's an ethical, is it ethical to to be profitable? I don't care what you do with your money. Want to give it all to charity? Give it all to charity. But if you're going to have the mindset that you're going to run a business just to employ as many people as possible, it's kind of like that guy who wanted to give everybody a $75,000 minimum wage. Mm-hmm. Sounds nice. It'll put you under.
1: Uh, yeah. I'm right? So-, and so
0: we're living in, in a real world here. So when I get into this whole thing about, again, you know, running a profit center, I want you to spend the right amount of money to market. I want you to spend the right amount of money to take care of your clients. And I want you to pay your employees better than anyone else in your in in your area so that you don't lose them. But I have a hard time believing that you need seven or eight employees. And I, I when I have someone come in my office and we, we list all the responsibilities that these seven or eight people have without fail. The person looks at the board and says, I think I really have eight part-time jobs, paying <laughs> oh. full time. And like You know what? You really have maybe two full-time jobs. But that's what happens because the solution is always hire another person, hire another person. The solution is never, do we need to rethink the way we're doing things? Are we maybe doing things in an inefficient manner? Are we maybe doing things we don't have to do anymore? Or maybe this employee is not really qualified for what we're asking him or her to do and we need to make a change. We never think that way. Well, I'm being, I shouldn't speak in absolutes very common. We don't think that way. We just think if they're overworked, I'll bring in another body.
1: But when you look at expenses, so somebody comes in, and again, this is Nick Royer. You're listening to the behind the scenes with top money masters. And again, I'm here with the profitable advisor himself, Dan Capril. He's written a book, Renegade Advisor, Advisor Architect, um, Renegade Selling. We'll get into that in a minute. But I want to go back to this because when somebody comes in and you have your own practice, you know, Advisor Architect, uh, you know, renegade advisor where, where people will come into your practice and you've learned the hard way through the, the, the world of hard knocks. So then people yeah. come in and they're like, okay, here are my expenses that I have that I'm doing. And we're talking about profitability right now. What is it that you probably see as maybe the top one, two, or three things on that list that's just absolutely wasteful that you go after first?
0: Yeah. Great okay. question. Number one is staff. Like I said before, they got eight people. They don't need eight people. And they'll admit they don't need eight people. Of course, getting rid of some of those people for a lot of people is not easy, but that would be number one. Um, Number two would be just flat out waste. Software, products, services that you pay for each and every year, and you don't even question why you're paying for them, and they bring no value to you. Um, Software is a big one, although in dollar amount, it usually doesn't add up that much unless you have a lot of different programs in place. So those are the the two big ones. The third one, though, would just be bad marketing um, or a failure to leverage one's marketing. Give you a great example. One of the guys in the program, one of my favorite Renegade Advisors, had both a radio show going, very, very expensive radio show, and was doing dinner seminars. At no point in time in his radio show did he ever promote his dinner seminars. Never. They were like completely different. And I was like, why? And he actually thought it was logical not to do it that way. And I try to explain to him as, look, do as many seminars as you want, but why are you adding direct mail cost on top of it? Why don't you at least see how good this radio show is? You've got a celebrity status. Another thing too on marketing is very few advisors do what I call list building. Mm-hmm. You know, the greatest prospect in the world, in my opinion, is one who first calls you up and says, you know, Nick, I really like what you, what you talk about on your radio show. I'm not quite ready to meet with you yet, but I would love to get some information on your firm. Now, I would much rather market to that person, the person who's raised their hand and said, you know what, um, I do have a fair amount of money and I do worry I could lose it all to the IRS. And I would like to get a copy of your book that explains how to alleviate that. I would much rather market to that person than somebody who... I have no knowledge of them whatsoever, and for all I know, could already have an advisor who they love. So too often, we, we focus only on the people who are hot now. Someone will go out, they'll send 10,000 direct mail pieces out, they'll have a workshop, six or seven people are ready to go, and everybody else they forgot about. It's as if they didn't even exist anymore. When they fail to understand that those people may have a need for them eventually. Yeah. So it's a matter of first having a level of direct marketing that can run 24-7, added to your other efforts, that can grow your list of people who have first reached out to you. And then secondly, having a really good follow-up system where you nurture people. You don't chase them. You nurture them so that they never forget about you. So I see a lot of people do stuff in marketing and it's it's like wishful marketing. Um a great example right now is everybody spending all this money on social media marketing. Right. And there's a ton of firms out there that'll just gladly take your money. And what you don't realize is that every one of those firms knows that most people who sign up with them are only going to be around for three, four, five months. And so their goal is to get it to maybe seven or eight months. Now, if it works so well, would they have that issue? No, but that's the problem direct or social media marketing, there are certain industries maybe where it can be effective. And I'm not saying you can't use it as a financial advisor. I think you're going to be far better off using it like I described previously. Nick's got a book, promote your book, person orders it, you nurture them, you invite them to your events, et cetera. They've had that connection. So you're kind of like beginning a courting process and you're using social media to introduce those people because you can narrow who sees the message. Um, But so many of these other things that people are doing... Um, it's like wishful thinking the old click on an ad, download the checklist a video plays, and then person's going to sign up for an appointment. It sounds good in theory. It just doesn't work. Um, or when it works, it's rare. Uh, so I, I find myself asking advisors more and more about the things they spent money on. Why did they do them? And why do they feel that they, they didn't work and then recommending more cost effective ways to grow their business.
1: And that's, you know, I mean, looking at it from that standpoint, you know, when you're looking at people are doing dinner seminars, maybe they're doing college classes, they're doing radio, they're doing TV. Yeah. One of the things I I, I think it was a statistic and I've listened to pretty much every podcast that you've ever done. I don't know how many you've done. And and folks, don't forget. I mean, you can go to Profitable Advisor Podcast. You can do it on, I think it's Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. It's pretty much everything, single one. You can uh, look for profitable advisor podcasts and listen to to all these there's so much content on them, but one of the things I found and i I was completely guilty of this myself. Mm-hmm. I had done a lot of marketing and events, we have a radio show and all this, and unless somebody was was ready for help right then, they kind right. of fell through to cracks and I didn't really you know and so I was spending so much time helping the people that that the ones who may come around later on and need help later on i kind of they we forgot. You're you're
0: hoping they remembered you. I mean, you're right.
1: So let's say for instance, now you were, you, you said that there's this, the study that there's only a small percentage. What is the percentage of people actually ready when they first hear your message?
0: You know, it can vary, but most studies are anywhere between three and 5%. That's it. Very, very small percentage are hot now. Now I find like, for example, if I do a workshop that there might be a third of the people that in one way or another might be ready, but Uh, most general marketing studies say that most buyers are not ready to go now. There's only a handful of them and, but there's an equal number that will be ready to buy within a year. And that's why they responded to your messaging. So So the question is, is do you want to take advantage of the ones who will be ready for you? Or do you just want to let that go and chase the hot potato?
1: But there's a value, a real value in that list that didn't do it right. That didn't huge value or ask for your help right there. And so many people are just throwing that list away, not nurturing it. So what would be a good nurturing system, a good approach? So somebody brings in a lead now, now what do I do? What do I use? How do I do it?
0: So without doubt, one of the easiest ones and one of the most, I think, polished ways of nurturing you can do is what you and I are doing right now, a podcast. It is such a simple thing to do. It doesn't cost a lot of money to do it. And anybody who orders anything or came to any of your workshops, every time you do a podcast, should get an email with a link to the podcast. Put the podcast on your website so that when they're listening to it on your website, they've got your full website right then and there. Um, a, um, I'm a big believer in email marketing. I send it out an almost daily email to advisors. Um, I can't tell you how effective that has been. We do it with prospects as well. Uh, we send an email out every single day to our prospects. And I realized that some of them will opt out. That's fine. They probably weren't going to do business with us anyway. Um, the um, A print newsletter. We, we do a quarterly print newsletter. We have a company that does it for us. We used to do it monthly. And then profitability numbers at the end of the first quarter of this year weren't what I wanted them to be. So we had to make adjustments because my profitability is not for compromise. So you're, not, so you're not gonna change. So if you see something go down, it's not,
1: eh, let's just spend more money.
0: Dan's not getting less. No, ah. <laughs> exactly right. What Dan gets is non-negotiable, and then we're gonna work it through. So we didn't abandon it entirely, you know, but we were thinking, okay, what else could we do? All right, well, another thing that I'll do once a month is I'll do a video just to my clients. I use a program called BombBomb. Bomb. It's super easy. Awesome. You, you just click, and I talk to my clients. Trust me, that goes over better than the print newsletter. I mean, the print newsletter has its merits, um, and it's mostly only about maybe half of it is, is relevant content. The rest of it is like crossword puzzles, and mm-hmm. stuff about my vacation, and because your clients actually want to know about you. That's a whole nother part of it. Um, but any type of contact that you have at least planned is going to help you. But if I had to pick one, I would do the podcast without a doubt. Um, it, it's such an effective thing. And... It has a real value with your existing clients because your existing clients will listen to it as well. So it has a, it has a um, client retention element to it as well as a nurturing for your, um, uh, for your prospects. Now, keep this in mind. There are financial advisors out there. Um, I'm trying to remember the, the one off the top of my head, Roger. His name escapes me, but it's, he's got a podcast called The Retirement Answer Guy who have grown their practice with their podcast, it's probably not gonna be you. And I don't mean to be negative, it's just that he is a rather gifted voice. Roger Whitney. Roger Whitney is his name. And in fact, um, I steer a lot of people to listen to his show because I want them to see how a good show is done. Now, he at this point, I think if you asked him, he would view himself as a podcast host who does financial advice. Okay, whereas most people would say I'm a financial advisor who, does, who do a podcast show. He views it himself the other way around, and he's had a lot of success because of doing it. But that's not why you should do a podcast. You shouldn't do it to necessarily grow your, your business uh, organically. Maybe you will, and that's great, and you will probably have some luck regardless. But you're really doing it to nurturing those existing people who have had some contact with you. So if you have a system in place whereby people routinely contact you for information about what you do and how you do it, the podcast serves as that nurturing vehicle that you can reiterate that message and give them reasons to contact
1: you. Hey there, this is Nick Royer. We'll be coming right back to the podcast in a quick moment. If you're wondering how you can separate yourself from the hundreds of thousands of other financial consultants out there, take a little advice from me. I've been in the financial industry for now 19 years, and I can tell you that one of the best things I ever did for my business was to become a registered financial consultant and then eventually become a master registered financial consultant. Having that credential behind my name has helped show that I'm an elite consultant, helping me gain trust and credibility with the people that I help. To find out more about how you can become a master registered financial consultant, or even a registered financial consultant, just go to www.iarfc.org. That's www.iarfc.org. Now back to the show. How often is too much? So if you do a podcast, should you do it? I've seen daily podcasts. I've seen yeah. weekly, bi-monthly, every month. I, which is what is the sweet spot that you found?
0: You know that that's that's always going to be up for debate. Um, we generally recommend advisors do it twice a month. Um, and the reason for that is I'm, I'm trying to be practical. No advisor can abandon everything that they're doing and podcasting can take some time as you get started. Now, there are podcast companies who make it really easy for you and you just have to show up and they, they take care of it from there. Uh, but I think if you are at least doing it twice a month, your content is fresh. It's relevant. You're able to respond to current events. And at the same time, you're not necessarily going to be a nuisance, but really more importantly, I'm not even worried about you becoming a nuisance because I think if people, if they like what you have to say, they may not listen to everyone, but they'll let you keep hanging around. I'm more interested in your time management and your ability to do it consistently. I'd rather you do it like if you can only do it consistently once a month and just do it once a month, but do it consistently. Mm -hmm. Don't do it, you know, and then skip a month and do all that. You're going to, you're going to miss the momentum. Right. Get people get
1: look into people. Exactly. So now we're talking a lot about how you kind of built, you learned things through your own practice. Yeah. Take that knowledge down. You're at 200 million of assets under management. You have two staff yeah. that are helping you with this plus yourself. So, I mean, we're not talking about, you know, the, uh, 10,000 square foot office on the no. top, more overlooking, uh, downtown Cincinnati by any means. So, no. you, so you did this because you created systems, right? So if somebody's coming to you and sitting down and saying, okay, let, let, let's, let's start working through this. How do I replicate what you did? Yeah. How are you doing that? What, st- what processes, what, what systems are you are you saying, this, this is what we need to be doing to get there?
0: When I got started, the one thing that held me back from being an advisor, because for 10 years I had worked for an insurance company and securities firm. And the one thing that had held me back from making that leap was a marketing system that I was comfortable with because I am not a natural salesperson. I am not comfortable talking to neighbors about what I do. Um, I don't want my family members as clients. Most of them don't have any money anyway.
1: (laughs) I've been to companies. That's the very first list is they give you a piece of paper. I know, um, I know. And friends.
0: So my family, not only do do they not have any money, um, I don't really want to deal with that. (laughs) So I needed to come up with something that was comfortable for me. And now this goes back about 20 years or so, but you know, back then there was a company, um, they've been sold since then called successful money management seminars. And SMMS was all about do seminars at local colleges, make people pay to come. That way you get serious people who want to come, you teach the course. And when they're done, if they want to have a consultation with you, they can. And for me, that was perfect because, you know, when you get that old question, if you weren't doing this, what would you do? And I say, well, assuming it paid a lot of money, I would be a teacher, but I know it doesn't pay a lot of money, so I would be. But that was something I was very comfortable doing. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. And I, and I pretty much have maintained that throughout my practice where we do at least four times a year workshops, people have to pay to come. Um, when they come, we, we give them a complete comprehensive overview of um, how to plan for retirement. I don't care what system you use. There's, you want to create your own? Fine, create your own. Um, there isn't a system out there we probably haven't bought, largely because they come and go. Um, what's interesting, I always say, though, is what the system says you should talk about and what you choose to talk about can be two completely different things, by the way. So if someone doesn't like a particular company's slides, I'm like, well, talk about whatever you want. But the point is, is you're, you're bringing them in. And you're going to provide them with comprehensive education. End the seminar by explaining to them first why, you sh- why they should not come see you, meaning you already have an advisor who you love. On a scale, of one to 10, 10, you go to bed sleeping like Bill Gates. One, you don't go to bed sleep at all as a relate- or you don't sleep at all as it relates to your personal finance. If you're a nine or a 10, there's really no reason to come see me. You're already a 10. If you're a do-it-yourselfer and you love being a do-it-yourselfer, why would you want to give that up? Now, if you don't have an advisor who you love, if, um, if you're not a 10, you're not a one or a two, but maybe you're five, six, or seven, and you really would like to have somebody work with you and, and guide you through this process and help you, then I would recommend that, you know, why don't you come on in? We'll get a feel for if I think I can help you. And if I can, I'll explain it. And if I can't, I'll explain that to and why, is the ca- why that is the case. So that approach, which is very contrarian to the way most advisors tend to do things where they give away free food and they, they will get anybody who can come in. I mean, they define a good event as 25 people came and 24 signed up for appointments. And I tell people all the time, that's not good because there's no way 24 are going to become clients, my friend. You know it. I know it. So why don't you disqualify the plate lickers, the free lookers I like to call them info hogs. Why don't you disqualify them before they even come in to see you? Mm -hmm. And in fact, we have have several levels of disqualification when they even come to see me in the office. We make them complete a couple of pieces of paper that based on what they put, I'll know before I even sit down if they're going to be likely a client or if I'm going to end this appointment in 15 minutes. So, I have given that advice to plenty of people, a lot of young people, the ones who take me up on it works well. Now, what are the downsides? Well, one of the downsides is it's not the cheapest way in the world to market. So when I got started, you know, I'm all for profitability, but you got to start somewhere. I get that. So, you know, I had a small business loan and I said, every dollar of that small business loan will go to marketing. I had my savings from 10 years of work. I'll live on that. But in the meantime, this is just for that marketing. And I wasn't going to judge the marketing efforts until I had exhausted all the money, which back then meant I could do five seminars. Now, 25 grand might be, get me two and a half, so I'd get a bigger loan today. But I was willing to be patient with that approach. And then, like I said before, if they don't become clients or they don't meet with you, continue to nurture them. Because just this past week, a couple comes to my workshop three years ago. Did a plan for them. I remember this one vividly, and they said, "We're going to do this ourselves." Okay. Which I had to learn to prevent to prevent that, which I did. But this week comes in and they go, "We're going to retire. We don't want to manage the money, one point two million dollars from three years ago. Why? Because we didn't we didn't lose presence with those folks. You know, they they've been getting our stuff religiously every single week. Yeah, you stand in front of them the whole time. Always in front of them. The whole time. So, you have to go back. But, you know,
1: uh, what email? uh, We've got an email from that guy back in
0: 2016. Go find it. You're saying, good luck. It's like, I
1: heard from last week.
0: Yeah. Oh, he sends something out every Wednesday. I know. I know. Now, the other thing is you want to adopt a level of direct marketing in your practice. And that gets back to the idea I said before develop a system whereby people reach out to you, not to necessarily hire you right away but because they're interested in what you do and they want some more information. And so the best thing you can do there is a book. And trust me, writing a book is not that hard, especially when you realize most people will order it and won't even read it. So once <laughs> you get that, is, I'm not kidding with you. All right? <laughs> I'm not kidding. They will order it because of the title. They'll read the first couple of chapters and they'll put it aside. They won't apply anything that's in the book, but they still have the problem. And now you know them. You know who they are. They know who you are to a certain extent you can continue to remind them who you are. You invite them to your events and that will grow your business too. More slowly though, that's not a quick kill, but it's very cost effective. So I usually recommend advisors have one system, kind of like the college seminar approach. You know, and the thing is with the college seminars, if you do it right, my way of doing it right is everyone who becomes a client pays a handsome planning fee, not to mention they have to pay to come to the seminar you will cover all your costs of those seminars, just your planning fee. So anything else that you get from AUM or insurance, whatever, it's, it's going to be money on top of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, a much smaller percentage of your marketing budget have some level of promotion of your, your book, your kit, your informational product, whatever that might be. And make sure that when people order it, no downloads. You need their physical address because you're going to be marketing to them two ways. If you just ask for their email address, you will get that junk email address that we all have that's it's full of Bed Bath & Beyond coupons, right? I mean, we all have that, right? I mean, you get thousands of emails an hour in that, that one. You want the one that only mom and dad get. Well, they're not going to give that to you. So instead, what you want is their, their home address so that you send them something tangible in the mail, and then later when you have an event, you can market to them both ways. You know, you can send a special invitation in, a, in the mail in addition to email.
1: Now, when it comes to systems, so we're talking about a sales system here. There's profit systems. There's all sorts of different ones. What, what are like the top three systems that everybody should have in place? So, are we talking computerized systems here? Any, any of them. It yes. could be okay. a system. Because I know you have like nine systems that you
0: use. Yeah. Oh, I got you. I got you. I'm Which sorry. is I'm the okay.
1: most of those yeah. nine? What's the okay. number one one?
0: Okay. Absolutely. Number two. So, one? yeah, they're actually kind of in order here of what we do. So, so, the first system you have to have is a, is a very finely detailed accounting system. Mm -hmm. Now, I am talking about money, but I'm also talking about marketing results. So it's amazing to me how few advisors really know where their money is going. And you need to know where your money is going. If I feel strongly, you should do your bookkeeping in-house. Now, I I don't personally do the bookkeeping. The incredibly talented Trina Powell does our bookkeeping for us. If you're worried about your staff knowing how much money you make, I got news for you—they already know. Okay, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) she has access to everything beforehand. You know, she's like, "Well, let's see, what's our assets under management? Oh, there it is. Oh, what's our average fee? Oh, there it is. Let me do some math. I mean, so seriously, Um, but that's another good reason why you should always—if you have somebody really, really good—they should be overpaid for their position, so they never leave you for money because. Five grand to you is not a lot of money. Five grand to them is a lot, but I, I digress so the first thing is we need to have a very strong system whereby um, we know exactly where we are in terms of hitting our profitability goals at any point in time. you know it, it's really just a matter of using QuickBooks properly the way it was invented okay. and then secondly, having a an accounting system that really studies your marketing, so you not only know the the things like. You know What was the cost of the event and how many people came? But you also have a clear understanding about um, you know, what percentage wanted to see you. Of the ones who did come to see you, how many of those did you offer your services to versus did you not offer your services to? And of the ones you offered your services to and they accepted, how many of those people did you work with fully? Did you manage 100% of their money? Did you meet all of their needs? Or were you just taking whatever they give you? Really, really important. You know, Cincinnati, as you know, having grown up here, it's a nice city, but it's not the most affluent city at all in the, in the world. And yet, our average client size is so much larger than most advisors that I know. It's not because we have super wealthy people, it's because I work with them fully. So, if they've been working for, say, one company like General Electric their, their whole life, they're, you know, if they're an engineer, even though their salary may be modest, they're probably going to have about a million bucks. I'm going to work with it all. If, if they want an advisor that only works with half their money, there are plenty of them out there that will do that. That's not what we do. And, and so therefore, that has allowed us to grow faster because we have a requirement. And, and it's not even a requirement as much as it's a description of how we work with people. Mm-hmm. And if they come back with an alternative description, we make it very clear to them that we don't feel it's in their best interest to operate that way. I don't think it's in, in anyone's best interest to have two cardiologists operating on your heart at the same time. And it's the same thing with a financial advisor. And if that means you're having trouble finding the one you can trust fully, keep looking. You know, that's really the solution to that. Um, but we all have great clients where that's not an issue. And so there's really no reason why you shouldn't hold it out that way. So first of all, the accounting. Make sure you're really studying all your metrics where the money is going. The second system would be the marketing system where you have a, a system that is very specific about messaging, target market, and how are you are going to deliver that message. Um, those financial advisors who have taken the time to really develop a target market do so much better than the generalists that are out there. Just talking to a woman in Atlanta about a month ago, and her target market is brilliant. Optometrists. Now, it was interesting. I wasn't aware of how many independently owned optometry practices there are. There are quite a few. And so, and this was largely due to the fact that her father was an optometrist and her brother has a, has a, has a business that helps you manage your, your backroom operation in optometry. So she had a natural allegiance to him. And so what she's done is she has created an information product for optometrists on how to value your business. And what amount do you need to sell it at in order for you to maintain the same revenue stream after the fact? And so many of these people, they don't have any type of other financial assistance than that. So while I don't think if an engineer knocked on her door, she'd turn him away, all of her marketing efforts is geared towards that optometry market. Got really specific. Yeah. And she gets huge response. There's a guy, Name Gase at the moment, but you can find him. He's got a podcast, a financial advisor who only targets dentists. That's all he does. Just dentists. Now you don't have to go that narrow, but the point here is that if you have a target market and a message that resonates with that target market, you're going to have a lot greater response. Thirdly is, you need the right media to deliver it to them. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you an easy one. Most financial advisors, if I really press them, they'd say, "Well, I think my target market are or, or executives who worked for, you know, privately held companies or they didn't work for the government. So they work for a Procter and Gamble, a GE, whatever. They probably don't have a true pension plan anymore. They got a 401k plan and they worry at night that they could outlive that money. Okay. Okay. That's, that's good. You, you've, you've described what they do, the type of company they work for, and you also described their fear. All right. Now develop a target, develop a marketing message that addresses that. And if you do that, those people are much more likely to respond to you than if you just do the general boring type of thing that every firm does. You know, we take care of our clients. We've been around since. But you know what? Messaging is what's going to allow you to separate yourself from all the others out there, the big players. Don't get into this game of trying to brand yourself. You'll never have enough money. To outbrand all the big players. And sometimes, as we sell with Ken Fisher, branding can hurt. Be known for your expertise. So, the second system would be the marketing system. The third system is you need a really good selling system. And I talk about all the time that the, the days of people buying or hiring us because we were the distribution system of investment products, those days are over. They know they don't need you anymore. For the products. Doesn't mean they won't buy them from you. It means that won't be the primary motivation. So you need to have a selling system whereby when someone comes to you just to get your information, they don't want to work with you, that you have a way to determine that very early on because people don't make decisions based on logic, they make them based on emotion. And if they don't feel they need you, but they can use you as a shortcut method to get the information they want, they will. That's why another reason why I don't like the dinner seminars. You just entice those people. You entice these info hogs. Oh, not only can you come and pick my brain for free, I will feed you. I mean, (laughs) don't come across so needy, right? (laughs) Trust me, if somebody who's the right kind of client gets two invitations, and one says, come to Ruth's Chris house and we'll feed you, and the other one says, come to this university and it's $49 your ideal clients is going to pay the 49 bucks that's true i've heard it that it is it is having done it yeah. myself yes now will your numbers be less yes they will be less but your percentage of people want to work with you will be higher the, now, I hear all these first the higher
1: ideal client
0: yes and isn't that the whole idea have a selling system that is designed to only bring you ideal clients and repel everyone else and right. it's very simple because Selling is no longer about saying the persuasive things anymore. Selling is about understanding why somebody would be a good fit for you. And the number one reason is because they have anxiety about money and they need somebody to alleviate that anxiety. That's the number one reason why your ideal clients hire you. You make their life better and it's not because of returns. In fact, your best clients don't even know what their returns were. I had one here the other day, three and a half million dollars, had no idea what their returns were. And in fact, I don't even talk about returns unless they bring them up. It was really just more of the annual social call, gotta send you guys some money here for um, your RMD. That was it. It And you know what, they left and they thanked me. Yeah. So get away, and again, I blame the vendors for this because the vendors are all about transactions and product sales and all these other things. They don't care if you take on lousy clients. You're gonna care because again, if you want more freedom, if you want more profitability, Get the maximum amount of revenue you can from all of your clients. And really, freedom comes down to working with people that you really like. And that should be a requ- requirement as well. I mean, when someone works with me, there's a number of requirements we have. One of them is they've got to be likable. They've got to be willing to give us all of our money. They've, they've got to have some anxiety about their current financial situation because they've got to know why they would hire us in the first place. Um, they have to have realistic expectations about the future. If they think that I can time the market, we're not going to offer our services to them. There's about eight or nine of them. I call them landmines. And these are the things I'm looking for in that first meeting. If the landmine exists and I can't defuse it, we do not offer our services to them. Mm. So you want to have an accounting system. You want to have a marketing system and you want to have a selling system. Those to me would be the three big ones. Now, there's about seven of them I think that, you know, should have. And, you know, if people want to look at the, go to the advisor architect website, they can see more information on that. But but those three, when th- three, when getting started, are key to, to success.
1: So basically, you have seven, and you can go to advisorarchitect.com. Is that mm-hmm. right? So yep. you can go there and, and check out these seven. How I would look at this, and I've looked at these, these seven things, and you had a book, too, that went along with it, right. is almost like a checklist. You should have a system for each one of these things because they work in tandem all, all together. And if you have one missing piece, you're actually l- m- missing the whole thing. Right. So now you have a podcast as well. And we talked about that, that people can go to. So you have uh, advisor Architecture website, you have the podcast that people can, can tap into uh, right. as well, which is a profitable advisor podcast. Right. And then, so if, if somebody wants to, you know, let's say they're, they're saying, you know, I'm shaking my head, you know, here I'm listening and I'm wanting to figure out how can I integrate these systems? How can I automate my practice? How can I maybe become more profitable or transition out of this sales center into a profit center, Mm -hmm. what would be their next steps if they're wanting to find out more information? I know you already have stuff that you've put together. Yeah.
0: Well, if you go to advisorarchitect.com, you can get, um, both of my books. Uh, we, we, we put in what we like to call a shock and awe kit. It's called the profit creation toolkit. So if you go to advisorarchitect.com, it's going to give you everything on there that you need to opt in for that. And, um, we'll send that out to you. There's a couple of books, there's an audio piece, there's a few reports. Um, and then on top of that, you're going to get my, my almost daily email. I say it's almost because I haven't done today's and today's not over. So almost. Daily. <laughs> <That's because laughs> if I did it today. getting
1: through all this great content here. Well, so. if
0: I did it today, I would have <laughs> called it the daily email, but I haven't done it. So it's an almost daily <laughs> no. until I do it today. And I, I may not. We'll see. But uh, if I do, it's probably be like at 11 o'clock at night. But so you're going to get that as well. So yeah, um, advisorarchitect.com is the site. Again, you can opt in. It's right there in front of you. You can't miss it. And um, we'll get you that information, and uh, you know we'll start nurturing you, the very same way I recommend you nurture your clients.
1: So you basically drink your own Kool-Aid.
0: Well, you know, there's a little bit of benefit to doing that. You know, if you uh, if you live your life in integrity, chances are you'll have greater success. So we're not uh, we're not perfect, but we 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 try to at least uh, show you and do the things that we know works. Otherwise, there's no reason for you to do them either. That's true.
1: And folks, you know, we're talking about all this because becoming a true money master means doing things differently than how everyone else in the financial world is doing that. Hopefully you're hearing what Dan's talking about and how he built his practice doing things kind of counter to what we hear from other things. There's more than one way to do it. And the purpose of this podcast is really opening yourself up to new ideas, new concepts, new, new philosophies. And our goal should always be to try and be a cut above the rest. Uh, to use systems to help us run our practices more efficiently, maybe to help us be the go-to advisor or the consultant in our in our area by transforming the lives of the people we help, but by also not forgetting our profitability. I know we heard that over and over again. So listen back to this podcast over and over again. You're definitely going to find one, two, three great nuggets to use uh, from our time here of Dan today. And another great way to elevate yourself above the rest is by taking advantage of all the other things the IARFC has to offer. Dan mentioned BombBomb. Check that out. That is, we actually have a a enterprise relationship. We have a relationship with BombBomb where we can get access to that technology uh, at a discount. And I use it. I know Dan uses it. It's something that helps. You know, check that out as well. It's a great resource. And there's other stuff with the IARFC, but also becoming an RFC, a registered financial consultant, a master registered financial consultant, all these things can help separate you above the rest, and not only just focus on your clients, but also focus on you becoming more profitable and successful. So you can just go to IARFC.org, that's IARFC.org, and you can find out more on that. And now is a great time to try and, you know, try something new, to change the status quo. Uh, you know, taking a few minutes to check out the IARFC, check, you know, checking out, taking a little bit more time and finding out what Dan, uh, it, you know, how, how systems can help you and maybe listening to his podcast as well can really change for the better the next 20, 30, 40 years of your financial life. So Dan, what's that website again for your website? Mm
0: -hmm. Go to advisor and that's advisor with an O, advisorarchitect.com.
1: Okay. And then they'll start getting all this stuff and the the daily You can
0: order the book and once you're in the system, you'll start getting, every time I do a podcast, you'll get that. You'll get my daily email and you can opt out anytime you want, but it will give you, um, a good deal of information, at least on the value of systems. The other thing I should mention too is, you know, I'm very quick to point out everything I've learned, I learned from somebody else. There's no such thing as a new idea anymore. The only difference is maybe how you tweak it and more importantly, how you implement it. Uh, So keep that in mind as you go through this. I'm no guru. I talk down to gurus all the time because every guru got his information from somewhere else. At the end of the day, we're all in this together. We're all financial advisors and I think where if we bring any benefits to advisors, it's to help them implement that stuff maybe a little bit faster than left to their own.
1: Yeah, because we all pass that closet in our office that has all <laughs> the loaded stuff. And yeah. you pass and it's like, I'll get around to it. I'll get around to it. And before yeah. you know it, your staff comes through and says, can we get rid of any of this stuff? And you yeah. think, "And eh, I'm never gonna get around to it anyway. So yeah, go ahead.
0: Yeah, and God knows how much money you spent on it, so.
1: Right, and, and the lost value, whereas yeah. if you would just implement it, and that's where you guys come in is helping people actually implement the system. So that's awesome. Exactly. But again, folks, I mean, this, I hope you got a, a lot of value out of this today. I want to thank Dan for being here. What I always tell people is the education doesn't stop with this podcast. Uh, the education begins after now because you can listen to it again. You can go to your website and find out more details and keep the conversation going. Yeah. And so take advantage of all of that. So with that, I'm going to, you know, this is a, you know, the, uh, the behind the scenes with top money masters podcast with Dan Caprillo again, Dan, thanks again for being here, folks. Don't forget to listen uh, back to our next one coming up. Uh, we have great, uh, you know, uh, great podcasts coming up. Rick Edelman's going to be coming out. We have other ones that we're going to have slated, uh, Frank Maselli. So some great ones coming up. Don't forget to tune into those. And again, Dan, appreciate you being here, man. Thanks again. What's your think- nick? going to leave you go so you can actually write your almost daily email.
0: There you go. Thanks. Take right, care. You
1: You've been listening to the behind the scenes with top money masters podcast. Catch new episodes every month to discover what the top financial consultants are doing to be the elite and how you can do it. To learn more about how to become an elite financial consultant, find out how you can become a registered financial consultant or a master registered financial consultant. Just go to IARFC.org. That's IARFC.org.